engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening, Atlanta. Welcome. How are you? It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, Atlanta's Evening News. And, oh, do we have news for you. The President of the United States meeting today with Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and others, but really primarily just them, to try to figure out the wall and what to do with immigration. (laughs) Well, let's just say the president, um, Nancy Pelosi, was begging to get the cameras out of the Oval Office and go behind closed doors, and the president was having none of it. He is totally willing, able, capable, wanting to shut down the government uh, to get a wall built. And and Nancy and Chuck, they're they're not that amenable to it, but, (laughs) well, listen to this. This is just... The whole thing, honest to God, it just, if the president has another one of these meetings and he does it as cable pay-per-view, they'll raise the money within 10 minutes to build the wall. The one thing I think we can agree on is we shouldn't shut down the government over a dispute. And you want to shut it down. I, you no, keep no, talking no, no, about no. it. The last time, Chuck, you shut it down. No, no, no. And then you opened 20 it up times. very quickly. And 20 times. I don't want to do what you did. 20 but, times Chuck. you have called for, I will shut down the government if I don't get my wool. None of us have you said You want to know something? You've said okay, it. Okay, you want to put that you on my You said it. I'll take it. Okay, okay, good. You know what I'll say? Yes. If we don't get what we want, one way or the other, whether it's through you, through a military, through anything you want to call, I will shut down the government. Okay, absolutely. Fair enough. And we I am disagree. proud, and I'll we tell you disagree. what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck, because the people of this country don't want criminals and people that have lots of problems and drugs pouring into our country. So I will take the mantle. I will be the one to shut it down. I'm not going to blame you for it. The last time you shut it down, it didn't work. I will take the mantle Good. of shutting down. And I'm going to shut it down for border But we security. believe you shouldn't okay. shut it down. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I, I just, honest question here. How does this hurt the president? I mean, how does it hurt the president? He, at this point, is hanging on to the Republican base and has them solidly in his corner. They, they are super loyal to him at this point. Now, others may not like him, and, and a majority of the country may not like this, but the president right now isn't playing to any of them. He's playing to the Republican base. He's playing to a Republican base that was able to make increases in the Senate, even though they lost the House of Representatives. He's playing to a Republican base that could potentially help him in Wisconsin in 2020 and deliver to him the Electoral College, even if he loses the popular vote again. The Republican is playing to his base with this, and he knows it. And the president thinks, and I actually kind of agree with him, that there's actually more support for a wall than polling may let on. I mean, how does this actually hurt him politically to shut down the government for the wall? I don't know that it actually does. And when you look at the uptick in the Hispanic vote for Republicans around the country this past year, and when when building the wall was on the table, when you look at the the uptick among black men for Republicans this year, I, I don't know that this is an issue. I mean, Democrats in the media, the conventional wisdom is this is bad news for the president. I don't see how this is bad for the president. You shut down the government. Just ask yourself. The majority, forget the majority of the American public, because the majority of the American public clearly aren't with the president. 
But ask yourself, among Republicans, among the president's loyal supporters who will stand with him through thick, thin, and porn stars, is shutting down the government over Christmas and denying some government bureaucrats a paycheck going to hurt the president? Do you really think that? Because I don't. Now, Nancy Pelosi says that um, meeting with President Trump is like getting peed on by a skunk. And she was very upset with the meeting. She wanted it behind closed doors. She didn't think that the public needed to see any of that. Well, too late for that. I got a suggestion for the president, though. Offer the Democrats something they desperately want to highlight how unreasonable they are on the wall. It's something the president already offered before and then took it back. And this time he shouldn't take it back. Offer them dreamers in exchange for the wall. Offer them dreamers in exchange for the wall. Listen, here's the thing. You got to give the Democrats something. You have to give the Democrats something because otherwise what you're going to have is squishy Republicans in the Senate who are going to still be there until January, Jeff Lake. And they're going to work with the Democrats to reopen the government on terms the president doesn't care for. The way for the president to actually get the wall is to offer the Democrats something they want. Now, you can say, no, no, the wall and nothing. And that's a that's a fine position, but it's a crap negotiating position, if we're honest about it. You got to give them something in exchange for the wall. What the Democrats want is dreamers, except you know and I know they don't really want it. Because they could have done it when they controlled everything when Barack Obama was president. The issue is still fresh from the George Bush failures, and they could have done something about it, and they chose not to. They say they really want the dreamers to be able to stay. So give it to them. Give it to them in exchange for the border wall and watch how the conversation changes. In the worst case scenario for the president, you get a bunch of dreamers who stay in the country and that issue is taken off the table for 2020 against him. In the best case scenario for the president, the Democrats reject the offer. And then the president can actually campaign legitimately on telling the dreamers, look, these people don't care about you. They're just using you as a political issue. It's actually, I think, the way he should go. I think it's a good idea. I mean, again, the worst case scenario for the president, what is the worst case scenario for the president and his base? The base gets mad at him because the Democrats take it up on their offer. Are, 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 is the president's base really going to reject him if he builds them a wall because some dreamers get to stay in the country? Are you really going to reject the president because you get what you want, but you have to suck it up and deal with some dreamers staying in the country? They're going to stay in the country anyway. They're not going anywhere. So the status quo for you does not change, but you get a wall. But there are very few of you listening right now who genuinely believe the Democrats are serious about this. Because you've seen the Democrats time and time again make a big issue of this, and you've seen them time and time again refuse to actually proceed with the issue, even when they had complete control of government. And so you've got it in your head, and you're probably right, that they want this as a political issue. They don't want it actually solved. They want to keep the grievance alive. And so they'll come up with a way 
to reject the president's offer. And then that gives the president a hand to play as well. The president can either be the man who allowed the dreamers to stay in the country, or the president can be the man who exposes the Democrats for not being serious about wanting to keep the dreamers in the country, just wanting to use them as a political weapon. And guess who it hurts if the Democrats go along with this? Their union allies who are already livid with the Democrats for any sort of compromise on this issue. The unions in this country do not actually want the dreamers to stay because they think it puts Americans, native United States citizens, at a competitive disadvantage in the workforce. The president does this, it puts them in a very interesting position and it makes it very difficult for the Democrats. I think he ought to consider doing it, and this time not yank it away from the Democrats, but keep it there and let them have to deal with the anger from their own side over taking the offer. Now, Homer uh, in Griffin. Welcome to the program, Homer. Hey, Eric. How you doing, sir? Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Well, sir, yeah. I agree with what you're saying about, uh, you know, the Republicans need to put it out there or the president needs to put it out there and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to let dreamers come in. Well, my problem is that I'm so frustrated with the Republican establishment. They Mm -hmm. have no backbone whatsoever. No, they don't. They they don't stand for nothing. Well, for themselves, Homer, they do stand for themselves. You do have to give them that. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't, they, and they don't have the, the president's sure. back. Um, certainly, they don't have the president's back on any legislative issues. Listen, I am always in favor of a government shutdown because I think when the government shuts down, uh, we are free. I, I, I do not see why in the 21st century, with the federal code as large as it is, that we need a Congress that meets all the time, and they don't meet all the time. Uh, but they ought to do like the Georgia legislature does and just say that if for 60 days a year, they're going to meet and thereafter they're done. Do it all within three months and go. And if the president needs him to come back, he can call a special session of Congress to do things that aren't in the budget. I, I think we ought to go back to doing that. He, the what is What job has the Congress done well meeting uh, as, as much as they do? The executive has still gotten all powerful. I mean, if anything, you rein in the executive by budgeting, forcing a budget, not doing a continuing resolution. And then when the president doesn't have the money he needs, he's got to call a special session and have you come back or do confirma- uh, confirmations, nominations, things like that. I, I think they ought to go back to doing it that way. Call me old fashioned. Nonetheless, the phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We need to talk about the 44 senators. The media is having a mediagasm this afternoon over the 44 senators in the Washington Post pinning a, a poorly written piece that the Senate has obligations and the Senate needs to come come together and the Senate needs to, to rein in the presidency and all of these things that they could have done to Barack Obama and did not do the precedents being set there that President Trump is now using. We need to discuss this. I, I want to read you snippets of this terribly, I mean, it really is terribly written. You can tell these people are geriatric and didn't have an editor. They should have. And by the way, apparently one of the targets of this letter is David Perdue. I'll explain that as well when we come back. 
It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. 44 members of the United States Senate have pinned a woe as me letter to the Senate, the current Senate. David Perdue is apparently one of their targets they're hoping to persuade. Listen to this. Dear Senate colleagues, <coughs> as former members, no, nah, I can't even do that. I mean, these people are old and geriatric. I should be smacking my gum because they probably don't have any teeth unless their dentures are in. These people are ancient. I mean, Methuselah himself um, is younger than some of these members. Nonetheless, as former members of the United States Senate, Democrats and Republicans, and there are only 10 Republicans in this 44-person list, and they're all liberal Republicans, it is our shared view that we are entering a dangerous period. And we feel an obligation to speak up about serious challenges to the rule of law, the Constitution, our governing institutions, and our national security. We are on the eve of the conclusion of Special Counsel Robert S. Mueller III's investigation and the House's commencement of investigations of the president and his administration. Oh, so they admit they know what the Democrats are going to do. The likely convergence of these two events will occur at a time when simmering regional conflicts and global power confrontations continue to threaten our security, economy, and geopolitical stability. It is a time, like other critical junctures in our history, when our nation must engage at every level with strategic precision and the hand of both the President and the Senate. We are at an inflection point. Okay, we're at a lot of points here. We're entering a dangerous period. We're at other critical juncture, another critical juncture. We're at an inflection point with our foundational principles of our democracy and national security interests at stake. The rule of law, the ability of our institutions to function freely and independently must be upheld. Wait a second. They want our institutions and the rule of law to be upheld. And they want our institutions to function independently, but they don't want the president to function independently. They want the Senate to pass something to protect Bob Mueller from being fired, which would be an incursion into the executive branch's powers. During our service in the Senate, at times we were allies and at other times opponents, but never enemies. We all took an oath swearing allegiance to the Constitution. Whatever united or divided us, we did not veer from our unwavering and shared commitment to placing ourselves, I mean our country, democracy, and national interest above all else. At other critical moments in our history, just wait, how many periods are there? We got a critical moment, we've got an inflection point, we've got critical junctures, and we've got a... a, um, oh, where is it now? We, we've got a, another important moment in our constitutional history. Oh, a dangerous period. We've also got a dangerous period. Good. Great. Did anybody actually, uh, I mean, this reads like something a senator would write. I mean, putting the, the power and prestige of, of the Senate ahead of everything else. And who, who signed this? Max Baucus, Evan Bayh, Jeff Bingaman, Bill Bradley, Richard Bryan, I don't even know who Richard Bryan is. Ben Nighthorse Campbell, I remember him. Max Cleland's on there. Bill Cohen. 
Kit Conrad, Al D'Amato, John Danforth, all these people of a bygone era. Oh, John, the French-looking Carrie, is on there as well. Who cares? I mean, honest to goodness, does anybody really care? These are people from a bygone era, some of the names I didn't even recognize. And they're, they're poo-pooing essentially executive independence. Uh, they want the Senate to assert itself. The Senate will assert, exert itself if the Senate wants to exert itself. But for them to come out and try to lobby, this, the whole thing's ridiculous. They're trying to put pressure on people like David Perdue to to back up Bob Mueller, and they're trying to start building a case for Senate independence for impeachment. That's exactly what this is. I mean, because you, you go back to the, the admission that they know that the Democrats in the House are about to start up investigations. Well, that's a big red flag there. Hey, we know impeachment's coming. We want you guys to do your job and impeach the guy, not actually make up your own mind at all these critical junctures. They, they threw out so many critical junctures, dangerous periods, and important points in American history. Who can keep track of the chronology? The whole thing's ridiculous. But then these are geriatric people who kind of, they saw Alan Simpson last week. He's on here too. They saw Alan Simpson the other day. Now they're like, oh, Alan got some limelight. We need to get some limelight too. And they're doing their best to do it. Max Cleland and Sam Nunn from Georgia, both on this list. Um, It'll be forgotten about tomorrow, but it was just worth ridiculing them today. Never underestimate the power of senators to feel super important. Um. The every senator wakes up every morning and looks at himself in the mirror and says, Mr. President, good morning. That's what's going on here with these guys. They had their opportunity to be in the limelight and they're gone now. And I don't see how this does any good because so many of the Republicans who are now in the Senate ran in repudiation to those people. I mean, when you look at the the people who signed the letter, they are largely people who got beaten and moved on, or the Senate moved on. I mean, you look at Max Cleland, Max Cleland beaten by Saxby Chambliss here in Georgia. Uh, Evan Bayh, he came back and then then left again. Uh, Al D'Amato beaten. Um, Dom Daschle beaten. Chris Dodd retired. Russ Feingold beaten. Uh, Chuck Hagel pretty much driven out because he was a pompous jerk. Um, Bob Carey uh, replaced in the Senate. Uh, on and on. Uh, Joe Lieberman, for God's sakes, the Democrats primaried him. Mary Landrew beaten. Blanche Lincoln beaten. Uh, all these people, not all, but a good portion of them beaten by Republicans, no less. And now they're, oh, the poor Senate, if only we hadn't been beaten. Well, they were. The country moved on. I don't even remember half of them, so we can move on to to other important things. I am more and more concerned about cybersecurity and just the pilfering that companies can do. Did you read that New York Times story the other day? I think it came out yesterday about the tracking that companies are doing off your cell phones and stuff. It is ridiculous. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, your mobile provider, your internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, they can often sell it to other companies who want to profit from your information. Read the New York Times. 
That's why you need to take back your privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and makes your internet browsing anonymous by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. That anonymity ensures your privacy, and protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want to be avoid tracking online, you need ExpressVPN. So protect your privacy today. Find out how. You can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Go to expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. Let's go to the phones. David in Tyrone, you're next. Welcome. Merry Christmas, Eric. Merry Christmas to you. And thank you for taking my call. Listen, that letter you read from those 40 geezers out yes. of Washington, uh, does it bother you that they write that we took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, and then in the next sentence they call us a democracy? I mean, for me, I, that's that's when I tune them out. That's that's the end. Of well, the, the you know, thing. I just ever since I went to seminary, I, I have been been less harsh on the democracy republic business um, because, you know, the 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 founders called us a republic, not a democracy. Uh, we are a republic, but we've got democratic institutions as well. And it really ultimately historically comes down to dividing line between uh, the Greco-Roman world, uh, the East and the West. Uh, it, it's the same reason that we have so many different words used in Christianity, some Latin, some Greek, because they couldn't agree on terms. But ultimately, what both mean is is rule by the people. So I, I I really no longer am upset by it. And I get angry emails from people all the time saying, saying read this or read that. And But ultimately, I mean... It really does come down to the Greeks had democracy, the Romans had republic, and, and by and large, they meant the same thing. They were implemented somewhat differently, but it was ruled by the people. Um, the Senate is the least democratic institution, uh, and, but it does, of course, try to represent the will of the people to some degree, but it's supposed to represent the states. That's what it's meant for. When we come back to Dead Mayor's Airport, should the state take it over? goodness kathy lee gifford leaving the today show uh she's 65 she said it is time to move on um my goodness gracious she's been there for 11 years gracious okay it is nine after the hour i'm eric erickson this is atlanta's evening news the phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 wsb talk yes i have fired up the rock box. I made my first three pizzas today. The first two were disasters. I got the hang of it by the third one. Um, minute and a half. I put it on Instagram. You can go see it at Instagram.com slash EW Erickson. Follow me, EW Erickson, on Instagram, Twitter, or what have you. And, you know, I do send out a daily email. And you should subscribe to my daily email. Uh, it is, you can text the word show to 444 
Before we talk about Two Dead Mares Airport, which is actually a, a going to be a really big hot topic when the legislature convenes, I want to read you something. Um, a, a Jillian Brockle has written. She is uh, the video editor for the Washington Post's Post Opinions page. I want to read you this, and I know some of you can relate to it. Dear tech companies, I know you knew I was pregnant. It's my fault. I just couldn't resist those Instagram hashtags, uh, 30 weeks pregnant and baby bump. Stupid me. I even clicked once or twice on the maternity wear ads Facebook served up. You surely saw my heartfelt thank you post to all my girlfriends who came to my baby shower and the sister-in-law who flew in from Arizona for said shower tagging me in her photos. You probably saw me Googling holiday dress maternity plaid and baby safe crib paint. And I bet Amazon even told you my due date, January 24th, when I created my Amazon registry. But did you also see me Googling, is this Braxton Hicks and baby not moving? Did you not see the three days of silence, uncommon for a high-frequency user like me? And then the announcement with keywords like heartbroken and problem and stillborn? And the 200 teardrop emoticons from my friends? Is that not something you could track? You see, there are 26,000 stillbirths in the United States every year and millions more among your worldwide users. And let me tell you what social media is like when you finally come home from the hospital with the emptiest arms in the world, after you've spent days sobbing in bed and pick up your phone for a couple minutes of distraction before the next wail. It's exactly, crushingly, the same as it was when your baby was still alive. Pee in the pod, motherhood maternity, latched mama, every Etsy Chotsky I was planning for the nursery. And when we millions of heartbroken people helpfully click, I don't want to see this ad, and even answer your why question with the cruel but true, it's not relevant to me. Do you know what your algorithm decides, tech companies? It decides you've given birth assumes a happy result and deluges you with ads for the best nursing bra. I have cabbage leaves on my breast because this is the best medical science has to offer to turn your milk off. Tricks to get the baby to sleep through the night? I would give anything to hear him cry at all. And the best strollers to grow with your baby? Mine will forever be four pounds, one ounce. And then after all that, Experian swoops in with the lowest tracking blow of them all, a spam email encouraging me to finish registering your baby. I never started, but sure, to track his credit throughout the life he will never lead. Please, tech companies, I implore you. If you're smart enough to realize that I'm pregnant, that I've given birth, then surely you're smart enough to realize my baby died and can advertise to me accordingly, or maybe, just maybe, not at all. Regards, Jillian. Yeah, I think she's right. And she should be in your prayers tonight. I don't mean to start this hour on, on that depressing note, but that is, has suddenly gone viral on the internet. It has only been up for a few hours this afternoon. And I know multiple people who have experienced the exact same thing. And it is heartbreaking. And I don't understand how tech companies that tend to be savvy about a lot of things, however tone deaf they may be, don't seem to pay attention to that and maybe giving that as much attention as possible will help them realize 
you gotta you gotta do something. Um, before we get back into national politics, and I will get there. Please be patient on the phones. I need to talk about Two Dead Mayors Airport because it is about to become a big issue in the next legislative session. A study committee has been meeting to decide whether or not the the state should take over the airport. One of the issues that I have in the state is that our transportation infrastructure in the state is very fractured. And in some cases, that is good because I don't think you want to have a statewide institution in charge of state traffic policy that is so Atlanta-centric that the rest of the state gets ignored because of Atlanta's needs. But I also think we have in the state, uh, within an hour of each other, we've got an airport in middle Georgia that you have probably, you didn't even know it was there. I actually used to be the chairman of the Public Properties Commission uh, Committee on the Macon City Council in Bibb County, Georgia. And that airport, the Middle Georgia Regional Airport, uh, actually Bombardier has had a service facility there. There are several others that have had service facilities there. Boeing had a facility there for a while. I think the Bombardier one is closed now, uh, but the Embraer, the the Brazilian company, has taken it over. Um, And it needs 500 more feet to its runway for heavy cargo planes. And then you could offload some of the cargo capacity from the Atlanta airport and uh, free up slots for landing and takeoffs at the Atlanta airport by diverting some of that cargo to middle Georgia, where a lot of it is actually going south of Atlanta. And I don't think that's ever going to happen unless you can get these airports within an hour of each other in some sort of statewide authority. In addition to that, I don't trust the city of Atlanta to continue management of the airport. Given the FBI investigation, everything else that's going on with the airport, I think having the Atlanta airport roped into a statewide transit authority that can put all the pieces together for a better statewide transit system would be a wise thing to do. I tend to support regionalism in this state. And the biggest reason I tend to support regionalism in the state is because I think otherwise everything gets Atlanta-centric. And when things get Atlanta-centric, the people north and south, east and west of Atlanta tend to get ignored because Atlanta's needs can become so all-consuming. But that airport is not just an economic engine for Atlanta. It is an economic engine for the state and for the southeast. And I don't really trust the competence of the city of Atlanta to continue its long-term maintenance and upgrades and contracts and everything else. But I think if you're going to take the Atlanta airport from the city of Atlanta, you need to take the middle Georgia regional airport from Macon Bibb County as well and put them into a combined plan to deal with cargo offloads and things like that. Uh, And you could offset some of the travel that travels up to Atlanta from the south by building up that regional airport in the mid-state. We've been looking forever for a competing airport slot in the state to offload some capacity. It's already built in middle Georgia. You don't have to build a new one. Now, you can say that there are so many people on the north side of the city who are coming. You know, there are a lot of people in the the south of I-20 who head to that airport, uh, head to Atlanta as well. And you could offload a lot of those people and a lot of cargo to middle Georgia because a lot of that cargo isn't actually going to Atlanta as these distribution hubs sprout up all over middle and south Georgia. 
But I think if you're going to do it for Atlanta, you got to do it for the other one as well, to be fair about it. And I think that both of them together in a state authority that can put some of the pieces to a statewide transportation plan together would be a wise, wise thing to do. And I hope that our legislature is listening and will proceed accordingly. I am more and more concerned about cybersecurity and just the pilfering that companies can do. Did you read that New York Times story the other day? I think it came out yesterday about the tracking that companies are doing off your cell phones and stuff. It is ridiculous. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, your mobile provider, your internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, they can often sell it to other companies who want to profit from your information. Read the New York Times. That's why you need to take back your privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and makes your internet browsing anonymous by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. That anonymity ensures your privacy, and protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want to be avoid tracking online, you need ExpressVPN. So protect your privacy today. Find out how. You can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Go to expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. Now, to the phones we go. I want to go to Darren in Peachtree Corners. Darren, welcome. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm great. How about yourself? Doing well. Thank you. Sitting in Atlanta traffic. Oh, well, then you're not doing great. <laughs> well, turn, Turnbull's guiding me home. Good. Um, look, and I'm being the responsible citizen here. I'm hands-free, unlike most of Atlanta. And so normally this would be a quick Google search question, but I wanted to know if, it's possible for a Republican to put themselves, put their hat in the ring um, for the presidency in 2020, or how does it work with the incumbent or yes, uh, um, be a primary? I, I will tell you three different potential candidates have flown to Georgia and, and driven to Macon to meet with me. Um, I've told them all that uh, right now, my plan is to vote for president Trump over any of the Democrats. Uh, let's see what they do. Uh, here's the thing. Um, they can run. They will have to raise money. Can they raise money in a Republican primary and challenge the president? Yes, they can. But the president probably can get evangelicals in Iowa to support him. So then you bounce into New Hampshire. Uh, you bounce into New Hampshire. Yeah, you could probably give the president a gopher in New Hampshire because his popularity up there is great. Then you get to South Carolina and it becomes problematic the way the Republicans have stacked the map. Remember, Republicans after the president got elected uh, largely got taken over by Trump supporters and they stacked the primary map and the rules in his favor, making it very difficult for anyone to challenge him. Uh, can it be done? Yes, someone can challenge him. They're going to have to have a lot of money to pour into challenging. Can they win? Probably not. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've told these people who have come down to Macon to meet me that they need to, if they're really serious about this, if they really want to do something like this, go third party. They're not going to win, 
Um, but I'm wondering if the Republican Party is past its prime. And I don't mean that as a slight on the president. It's just, seriously, the the Republicans, they got to stand for something now other than just a cult of personality. And I don't know that they are. It's 39 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. To the phones we go. Charles from Marietta, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Uh, Love your show. Listen to you every night. Thank you. Um, I was just going to make a a comment. I ain't really heard anybody say anything about. There was a really, really... A snarky comment Schumer made today to to uh, Trump during their conversation about uh, if Trump is so proud of winning South Dakota and uh, Indiana in the senatorial election that he's got problems. And uh, that really there says exactly where the Democratic Party's mind is, that if you're not in the, the, the far west coast or the far east coast, you're nothing. Yeah, that, that's a great point, and it was actually common. I, I I saw it in commercial break. I, di- I didn't hear Schumer say it at the time he said it, but yeah, basically Schumer was was mocking the president's pickups of South Dakota and Indiana, uh, and, and his point, I think Schumer's point was that those are Republican areas you should have had to begin with, but it really came across as, you know what, you, you didn't win any of the places that, that Democrats care about, therefore your wins are nothing. And that's almost like Barack Obama telling John McCain to, to be quiet because he won. Um, there's a level of arrogance to it that I think that the president, if he wants to, could really capitalize on it and play up the fact that the Democrats are being really snide about these places. The Democrats don't like these places. And, you know, that translates into places like Wisconsin and elsewhere as well that the president needs in 2020. Steve from Atlanta, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey. Hi there. Great, great. Boy, you hit a hot button with me. I've been lived here forever, 45 years, and I'm still not a native. That airport, that's a billion-dollar slush fund. And uh, when Member Maynard Jackson had a big uh, grin on his face, you knew why. This last mayor, who signed up Delta for 25 years. What kind of a kickback did he get? That place has never been audited, seriously. It's, it is screaming for an audit. Yeah, it just, it, about- it, it screams. And when you get the, the FBI raids, the, the procurement scandals, everything else, yeah, it screams slush fund. Uh, and I think that is such a, it, it is, it may be uh, two dead mayors, Atlanta International Airport, but it is a Georgia airport and it is an economic engine for the state. And I don't know that the state should trust Atlanta to continue controlling that airport, particularly with all of the problems we know have existed already. Uh, I think it's time to take it to the state. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Two leaders of the Women's March shared anti-Semitic conspiracy theories at the very first meeting of the organization in November 2016, according to others present. If y'all haven't heard about this, the the Women's March leaders are now squabbling. I'm sure there's a joke there about it being the Women's March and everybody's gotten catty, but I won't go there. No, no, I, I will not stoop that low. I will just say that these progressive women all got together and now they are fighting each other. There are a couple of men involved as well, but they, they brought in 
these people who love the nation of Islam. Several of them are big fans of Louis Farrakhan. And the founder of the women's movement, the, the one who came up with the idea and circulated it, um, they uh, uh, that person is calling foul and demanding that uh, there be a leadership shakeup. And there's a news story out at Tablet Magazine, which is a, a publication, I think it, it uh, focuses mostly on Jewish interests in the United States. Uh, and they have a very detailed story with serious sourcing that Tamika Mallory and Carmen Perez, two of the people who started the group, and Linda Sarsour, uh, the anti-Semite uh, Muslim activist, is also involved, that those two, Mallory and Perez, quote, allegedly first asserted that Jewish people bore a special collective responsibility as exploiters of black and brown people, and even, according to a close second-hand source, claimed that Jews were proven to have been leaders of the American slave trade at that first meeting. They were popularized, those views, in a book by Louis Farrakhan, The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews. Now, uh, Mallory denies making the comment, Tamika Mallory, uh, but now you've got others who are coming out saying that uh, they're just riddled with uh, Nation of Islam people. In fact, Mercy Morganfield, the former spokeswoman for the march, said the Nation of Islam acted as security and drivers for the co-founders. My goodness gracious. Now, one of the sources who's on the record is Mercy Morganville, that, that former spokeswoman. She says Bob Bland, who is one of the co-chairs, called and told her, quote, Mercy, they've been in bed with the Nation of Islam since day one. They do all of our security. Uh, my goodness gracious. And you know what, what happened here? By the way, um, Linda Sarsour has released a statement saying the organization, quote, should have been faster and clearer in helping people understand our values and our commitment to fighting anti-Semitism. Uh, it was the same week she complained about being forced to condemn the Nation of Islam leader, Louis Farrakhan. She, of course, has um, hobnobbed with people like that for a while. What this goes to show you is that the left is more and more infiltrated by extremists. But more importantly, have you heard a lot of this in the news? Because I assure you, if the American neo-Nazi party were somehow working with Republicans or working with a right of center think tank, it would be major, major news in every major outlet. Uh, can you imagine the Don Lemon coverage on CNN? But here you have Louis Farrakhan, who compared Jews to termites, and the Nation of Islam um, deeply embedded within this Women's March movement. And the national media, by and large, has been very, very quiet about it. You know, it's interesting to me. Um, you know, so Chuck Todd is coming under a lot of fire for having me on MSN or not on, on Meet the Press uh, the last weekend in October. That was the same, same program where Chuck Todd was asking if the Democrats needed to worry about ties to Louis Farrakhan. And then suddenly a bunch of progressive activists blow up and say, wait, 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 you got Eric Erickson on your show. Fascinating how they don't want anybody to pay attention to Louis Farrakhan. They don't want anybody noting the ties that bind the Democrats to the nation of Islam. And those ties are increasing and tightening.
y'all know the 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 dumb online publication slate. I, I routinely ridicule the things they've done, including the ridiculous attack on Sully the Service Dog. Uh, the writer of that, uh, Ruth Graham, is attacking CNN now for inviting Sully to their Heroes Awards and, and basically saying it was ridiculous for them to say yeah, Sully was a natural when it came to posing for the picture and selfies on the red carpet. Oh, my goodness. Well, the, the Slate writers have decided to unionize, and they're going on strike, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> it's an online publication. I, I just, the whole thing is ridiculous, and I cannot, I'm just, can I say I'm rooting for injuries? <laughs> I just want to see the ridiculousness of the, the Slate strike, um, nonetheless. They're, they're, boy, it's it's going to be funny, funny, funny to 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 watch this play out. Uh, you know something else we need to play out. We need to just spend a moment meditating on the runoffs in Georgia. Paul Benicky, uh, who was a long time uh, Politico in Georgia, now at the Republican Governor Association, pointed out one of the the big mistakes that Stacey Abrams made in the campaign, among other things, is she failed to use the Republican runoff period between Cagle and Kemp to positively define herself. And it allowed Brian Kemp uh, a lot of leeway to really define her, uh, particularly in rural Georgia. And then, of course, Abrams made some missteps, including uh, basically um, insulting agriculture sector workers and hospitality sector workers. I think, uh, first of all, his point is valid. Uh, I think he's right. But then there's something else that needs to be said here. Will the legislature please curtail the runoff period? I'm not saying get rid of runoffs. I'm saying make it less long. Originally in Georgia, July 20th or thereabouts, the, the third Tuesday or in in July was the runoff day or the Tuesday closest to the 20th, something like that. I forget what the precise rule was. And then you'd have a a four-week period thereafter. Well, the Obama administration demanded that they stretch the time, and I think they stretched the time too far. And while you still have a Trump White House and a Trump Department of Justice, can we please revisit the runoff issue in Georgia? It is too long for the primary we do not need that long of a primary runoff in Georgia. It needs to be shortened, very much needs to be shortened, and I hope the legislature will consider it when they come back in January or February, whenever they decide to meet this coming year. 